Amen. Well, welcome to church. Uh, my name is Travis, the lead pastor here at Antioch. So worst places uh, to have been this morning to be doing. My, my uh, wife and our, our niece just finished up a little half marathon in the rain this morning, so that was fun. Um, but, uh, but what a day for that. But a good day to be in the house of God, to worship Him. Uh, he is so worthy of our worship and of our praise. We're in a series uh, called Nothing Else, and uh, it's uh, the first series that we're going to be doing throughout this semester uh, in a, a number of chapter studies. So, so we're, um, we're doing some, some in-depth studies on particular chapters in the Bible. So we're doing Exodus 33 here to begin. And uh, last week, we did, spent quite a bit of time on, a, on an overview of the book of Exodus to really get the context for where we are in chapter 33, as well as hitting the first few verses there of Exodus 33. And uh, we're really believing that through these series of chapters, chapter studies in, in this spring, that, uh, that God's going to take us into some deep places in His Word and to reveal some things that are in His heart for us to, to live out and uh, to be not only hearers of His Word, but to, to fully be doers of His Word, where we're implementing the truth of, uh, of the Word of God into our lives in an actionable way. And so we're excited about that, about what He's teaching us and about opportunities that we'll have to respond. Specifically here in Exodus, and to do a little bit of a review of the overview of what's happening in the book of Exodus, the people of God have just been set free from 400 years of slavery, and God has delivered them through a, a man called Moses that he has raised up to lead the people into freedom. And supernaturally, God made a way for, for them to, to escape uh, the bondage of Egypt. And they are only a few days into their journey towards the promised land uh, through the, the wilderness and the desert. Uh, and they begin complaining uh, and wondering where they're going to get food and drink. Well, God supernaturally provides those things. They continue to complain, going even to the, the, the extent of saying, just send us back to Egypt. Like, shackle us again. Give us, give us labor and bondage and slavery. They, they, were, they were losing their, their minds in the sense of they're complaining and rebelling against God. And yet God continued to be faithful, continued to the, the people begin to say, okay, God is with us. Uh, God initiates a covenant with them. And he says, I will pledge my covenant faithfulness to be with, to, to be with you, um, to... Uh, to provide for you if you will follow my ways. And so the people, uh, it says with, with one voice, they all say, hey, we, we're in. We will follow your ways. And, and so that happens in chapter 24 of Exodus, and at which point that Moses and his assistant Joshua are called by God up Mount Sinai, where in some ways that, that covenant is going to be ratified. It's going to come in written form, or as God inscribes on a tablet of stone, these Ten Commandments, and, um, and it's in that six-week period that they're up on the mountain that, uh, that Israel, the people of God, already unfaithful to the covenant as they build a golden statue, an idol, which they weren't supposed to do, and worship it, which they obviously were not supposed to do, even giving it credit for delivering them 
from Egypt. And, and so there's just this revelry and complete disregard for, uh, the, 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 for God. And, uh, and so it's, uh, Moses hears about this in, in coming down from the mountain and uh, intercedes on behalf of the people because God justly wanted to destroy them for their, for their wickedness, for their rebellion. And yet he relents uh, from, from wiping them out and, and says to them, I'm actually going to go ahead and give you the thing that I promised you. Specifically, this land that for generations, for, uh, for hundreds of years, has been promised to these people. I'm going to still give it to you, and I'll make a way for you to have that land. And at that point, uh, he says, but I'm not going with you. My presence will not accompany you. And it is in that moment that we see perhaps the best thing up to this point that the Israelites have, have done in, in response. And they began to grieve. They didn't simply say, fine, we just want the land, send us in, um, provide the way, great, that's all we want anyway. They actually begin to grieve the fact that God would not be with them. So somewhere in this journey of, of repentance over the, the golden calf and, and the justice of God, because there were people that, that lost their lives because, because of it. There was, there, was, um, there was consequence to it. And through that, there was a kind of a turning to, to back to God and saying, well, no, that grieves us, actually, that we could have the land but not have you. It describes the, uh, they describe the words that Moses shared with them about God's presence not going with them as distressing words. And so there was, they were in this place of like, I, I don't know that we, we, don't, we don't want this. And, and that was the right response. There was enough enlightenment in their hearts to, to know that you know, we, we need you, God. We need you more than we, we need a, a home, more than we need a place to, to dwell. We, we need you. And so in this story, we, we begin to move forward, and, and we don't know what's going to happen yet. We, we, in, unless you skipped ahead, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen yet. It's like, and, and so God kind of hears this. They, they strip off kind of their or, ornaments, which is, symbol, symbolize this uh, turning to God and a, um, and a grieving and mourning their sin. Side story in, in the midst of the, the overarching story of what's happening. And, and you get this description that's actually really insightful for us in learning about the presence of God in His presence. And so we're going to read this morning Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. It says this Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. 
One of the things that stands out here at the beginning of this passage, again, which is a little bit of a side story from the overarching narrative, and, and it describes kind of what's happening here in the meantime. As people are grieving. God has said, I'm not going with you, and, and we, we don't know if, it, but they're, they're grieving it, they're repenting of their sin, so is God going to relent and, and go with them? Is he going to go through with not going with them? And the things that we see first off is that the, the tent was outside the camp some distance interestingly enough the 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 majority of what Moses received when he was on the mountain uh, for those 40 days was instructions about the tabernacle the tabernacle would replace this tent of meeting. Um, it would still be a tent in the, in the way that it could be taken down and, and put back up, but it was, go- it was not just any ordinary tent. It was coming with certain specifications and certain materials that were to be used and, and, and the way that the tabernacle would function and who would help to lead out in the worship at the tabernacle and, uh, and where, where different things would be placed. In fact, in, in the description and the, the way that it was to be built, it, it hearkened a lot back to the Garden of Eden. I think I mentioned that last week, but a lot of the symbolism of, of where things went and what was to be placed where hearkened back to the garden. The garden was the place God created to have unhindered and unfiltered relationship with mankind. Mankind rebelled against God and kind of broke, uh, sin broke that relationship that God, that God intended. And, and yet we see throughout the, the biblical narrative and redemptive history is that uh, what, what God is going after is the, the recreation of the garden. That, that in the end, uh, there will be a, a, a new Jerusalem and a, a new, this new garden, this new place for, for us to have unhindered, unfiltered relationship with God. Because that's his desire for you and I, to have that kind of relationship. And so we see part of that narrative throughout the Bible and God reestablishing it. In fact, you see it right here in the sense that the the tabernacle is described uh, 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 with a proximity. It is to go in the very center of the camp. The 12 tribes of Israel are to be encircled around this tabernacle in, in, in symbolizing and representing that God is at the center of everything that we do. He's at the center of it. And we, we, we surround him and we come around him and he is central to who we are. But here we see as a result of sin, this, this tent of meeting is actually on the outskirts of the camp. Because we know this of God, that God is not a God who will force things upon you. He's not going to say, I will be central, and if you do not make me central, then I will just make a way. Like he says, hey, I am here. I am offering. I am pursuing. And we can think about ways that he has pursued us throughout our lives. And it actually, uh, I was thinking about this. We so often give Israel a, a hard time. I mean, it's easy to do. Like you, you saw, we talked about it last week. You saw this mountain and it describes at the beginning of Exodus 33, this mountain that's on fire. It looks like it's on fire with the presence of God. And, and it's there for those 40 days. And yet somehow they lose the, the vision, they, 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 they lose sight of God and they, they're looking down and they build this idol. You're like, what are you and yet I was a little convicted this week just thinking about, well, what if my life was really written out in narrative form? And specifically the things that were pointed out 
were the points of God's faithfulness, which would be many, you know, in the story of my life, his faithfulness, the way that he has answered prayer, the way that he has been patient and gracious. Narrative sprinkled throughout was all my times of being anxious, all way to do things. He was so faithful to unroll this for me. You know, like, I, I'm actually, I don't know that I want to see that story written out, or at least I don't want everybody else to see that story written out, right? So if we're, if we're a little honest with ourselves in that way, there's much for us to learn about making God's presence central in our lives. There, there's much for us to learn about it not being on the outskirts and finding ourselves like the, the people of God uh, here in this story where, where they noticed the presence of God and they would come out to the edge of their tents and they would acknowledge that Moses was meeting with God and they, they would worship in their own right from a distance, but rather we would be like the Moses and Joshua of this story because that's what uh, God has invited us into. In, in fact, there, there, the, though there was... Um, Though this story is obviously in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, there was actually an invitation for the people to encounter more of the presence of God. And they said, no, 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 just send Moses in and then he can come tell us and he would come and stand before them and he would be glowing. And so there is an invitation that God gives for each one of us to move towards him, to move into him, to know him, to experience his presence. And he's wanting us to say yes to that today that that tent of meeting would move into its rightful, central place in our lives. It's always been God's heart, is, is that we would know his presence. We would walk with him closely. And this, this idea of, the, of the, the tent of meeting being in the center and that becoming this, this tabernacle was, was really the, the sign and this part of the redemptive story of God to, to making his presence more central in the lives of his people. No, the, the tabernacle needs to be in the center and it will host my presence. And then from, from there, you see other people in, under the old covenant like uh, King David who, just, he, who knew God in a way that was, that was unique the way that he talked about God, the way that he sang these different songs that expressed this, this depth of worship. And it was in David's heart to build a temple for God. His son Solomon ended up building that temple, right? And, and it was this, this temple that, again, housed the presence of God at the center of Jerusalem with the Holy of Holies. Um, and, and it was central to the, the worship of the people. Well, you continue on and... Uh, and you have Jesus, right? Okay, so, so Jesus comes and, and establishes a new covenant. So we're no longer under this old covenant. We're under the new covenant. That's why we're really gonna be looking at Moses and Joshua today because they were operating almost in this new covenant reality uh, in, in, as they were the ones in, under the old covenant that had opportunity to experience the presence of God. Because in the old covenant, it, that was almost like reserved for, for certain people. There was, there was kings or priests or prophets and different ones that, that God would raise up and, and would, he would speak to, and they would, uh, then they would speak to the people on God's behalf. It's not like that in the new covenant, right? Jesus has made a way for each of us to experience God's presence. In fact, it says in John 1 that Jesus um, was the word and that became flesh and dwelt among us. So he made his dwelling among us. Uh, some of uh, the, your 
Your translation, Bible translations might say that he tabernacled among us. That, that word is actually the, a, a Greek word that's translated from Hebrew that simply means tent of meeting. Jesus became the tent of meeting among us. He tabernacled among us. He was the presence of God. Again, God bringing his presence into the life of his people in the form of the Messiah. And, and so he tabernacled among us. One of the things that Jesus says about himself is that his, his body was a temple. There was a time where he was giving us prophetic word. We're saying, you're going to destroy the temple and, and God's going to raise it up in three days. And, and the people are like, what are you talking about? This massive temple that took all these years to build is going to be destroyed and raised up to three days. But the Bible says, no, he was talking about his body that would be torn down, broken, and killed, but God was going to raise it up in three days. And so he even described his own body as, as, this, as this temple that, that hosted the, the presence of God. He became the, the high priest over that temple. His, his body, the, the author of Hebrews tells us, was like the curtain in, in the, in the, in the um, temple that was the curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies. And that curtain, when Jesus died on the cross, was torn in two. And, and that represented the access that we have under the new covenant to God's presence. It says it like this. I'm going to go ahead and read it out of Hebrews 10 here. It says, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place where God's presence is by the blood of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. His body was the curtain that was broken so we could have so we could be in God's presence. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So there's this opportunity for purity, for guilt to be, to, to be taken off as we enter into the, the most holy place. God's presence, because Jesus' body was broken for us, a way was made for us to know God, to not have to sit back and see God from a distance. It says this about Moses in Psalm 103.7. This is what David says about Moses. It says that the people of God knew the deeds of God. Israel knew the deeds of God, but Moses knew his ways. It's a, it's a great little insight into the, the opportunity we have to know God. We have, we, we have uh, the, the opportunity, uh, if you could call it that, to sit back and, and just say, say from a distance, like, I, I see God, I believe God, I see that he works, I see that this or that, and, and you stand on the edge of your tent and you see what God is doing from afar, or you have the opportunity, like Moses, to enter into the presence of God. And in that place, to know his ways, to know his heart, to, to know the way that he loves, to, to be, to be um, intimate, to know why he does what he does, to see his goodness up close. And that's what you're invited into. 
Th that's not only what you're invited into, that's why Jesus gave up his life, to set us free from sin, that we might know the nearness and presence of God. So we could enter into the most holy place because through the blood of Jesus, which has forgiven us from sin. So if we're just saying, okay, thank you for the forgiveness of sin, but we're going to stay at a distance, we're, we're not really um, walking in the fullness of what the work of the cross afforded us. And so there's a place for us to step into the presence of God at, at greater and greater measure. And, uh, you know, in, in fact, you know, Paul the, the apostle wrote much of the New Testament, planted so many churches and just walked with God, but, but came out of a, a, a background of, of religion and, um, uh, and, and really caring, feeling like he had to be perfect. God set him free, right? And, uh, and he, he uses the same language that Jesus used. But he describes us, our bodies, as being a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means not only do we have the opportunity to experience God's presence and, and to go to, to a place, to come to church on Sunday, to go to the encounter night that Andy was talking about on Friday night. The temple is, that, that's where the presence of God dwelt. And so what is being described of you and I under this new covenant is not only do we have access to the throne room and are told to approach it with confidence, but we actually are those who host the presence of God. That everywhere that we go, we are to be those who carry his presence, which means darkness ought to become light, hopelessness, hope. You know, where there is, where there is unbelief that faith would rise, where there is impossible situations that breakthrough would happen because of his presence. That's the, that's the reality. It's not because of you or, or the things that you can do or can't do. It's because you're aware of his presence upon your life and in your life and allowing that to flow through you. The same way that Jesus described it as this river flowing from the believer. It, it just, it was, he was describing the, the spirit of God flowing from the believer as like a river of life. Incredible. And, and so this, this is the, the normal Christian life is walking in the presence of God, experiencing his nearness, being a carrier of his presence in, in a way that affects change in, in the lives of people around you by his grace. One of the things that has uh, always stood out about this passage as well is that the way, but that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. It's this phrase that's used to, to communicate the, the nearness, the closeness, the, 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 re, the relational depth that one can have with God, the creator God, who at the same time, it'll later say in the same chapter, Exodus 33, that we can't look upon his face and live, and yet you can know him. Like, like a, and talk to him like a friend would face-to-face -face with somebody. There, there's a depth of, of knowing and being known that happens in his presence when it becomes central in our lives. One of the things that has long um, been a, a compelling little phrase for me, I think for, for many in this room, um, 
has been the, the last little phrase there of, of verse 11, almost a, a, a footnote of the side, side note story. And it says this, just the last little part, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Actually, many translations say would not leave the tent. Like, I'm not, I'm not leaving here. There's something that I'm experiencing in this tent. There's nothing else that I want. There's nothing else that could replace what I'm experiencing here in this moment. And, and we see that type of language repeated over different men and women of Scripture. David's saying, you know, better, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. You know, I, I just, I, one thing I desire, and that's to, to see you, to look upon your beauty in your sanctuary. I just want to be with you. Paul would say it like everything in my life that I've experienced up to this point, I consider it rubbish in Philippians 3 compared to the greatness of knowing you. He'd found something in God that was irreplaceable, that caused everything else that might allure a person in this life to just pale in comparison, to look like trash. And, and, and so it's something about his presence that when his people experience it as the, the centrality of their life, that they, they, they don't want anything else, that nothing else will do, nothing else will satisfy. And that's the kind of experience in his presence that God is inviting us into moment by moment, day journey that he takes us on in that. It, it doesn't mean that you know, the first time you go and, and, and want to meet with God, that there's going to be the pillar of cloud, you know, over, over your bedroom or the, the your, you know, it looks like your roof is on fire or something. It doesn't necessarily look like that. There, there's a journey that we see with the people of God of learning to make God central and, and, a, and a reality of his presence upon our lives. Walking with him in, in, an, in an unhindered way where, where we are known by in return there's a journey and I believe that God you know one of the questions that came up in, in my mind is just is this that while we as a New Testament believer have the opportunity to abide with him which we do we, we get to abide with Christ there's no certain place that we have to go to uh, to meet with God there's no particular place where you know that's where his presence is and that's where we have to be uh, and and so we walk with him throughout the day and yet we believe that it is so very important to have our own tent of meeting to have a time, a place set aside to be alone with God. We call it Jesus time or quiet time or what, FaceTime or whatever uh, you know, language there is that different people use. It's just saying, I value so much his presence. One of the songs we sang was like specifically saying, I love the moments when I get to be still in your presence. Because there are moments where we can walk in his presence, but not necessarily still. It's, it's kind of it's crazy, and we're, we're things going on. But those moments where we can be still in his presence, 
and say, we, we long for you, we value you, and out of that place, we're, we're, we're able to abide. Out of that place, we walk with the mind of Christ. Out of that place, we, we feel like we have the a heart of God for the relationships and, and interactions that we're gonna have during that day. But it's a time where we say, this is a time that is set aside as a tent of meeting. So what, is, what does your tent of meeting look like? Is it in disrepair? Or, you know, are, there, are there cobwebs in it? Because we don't, we don't get there very often. What, what does it look like? Is it a place that, that you just want to linger? There's growth in, in the Christian life that you go from like, man, it's so hard to pray for five minutes. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to discipline myself to just pray for five minutes a day. But there's growth. There's a journey. There's maturity where an hour's up. And you're like, oh, man, I got to go to work. I can't believe an hour's gone. And that, that's the kind of thing that people experience in God's presence. That's what we see in Joshua. That's why it, it's so compelling. Like, I just want to be that. And certainly, let me say that over uh, the young, young people in the room. Um, that, you know, you, you, you aspire to, to be a leader and to, uh, you know, you're, you're looking ahead at, at life and uh, what God may call you to and the, the journey ahead and the relationships that that'll be. One thing I would say is, let this season let, be a Joshua I mean, what a privilege where, where Moses had, had, had learned some of these things from the burning bush and, and walking through him through trials and people attacking his leadership and him having to get away and, and he had learned these things. Now he's, getting, he's going to the tent to hear from God and deliver the news to the people and there's certain levels of responsibility and going, but, but Joshua had the privilege to just be like, I'm just gonna sit and stay and remain. And as we think about the rest of Joshua's story, God was raising him up. God was doing something in him and giving him a love uh, for the presence of God, making him a man who was jealous for the nearness of God that allowed him to eventually lead the people into the promised land. And God raised him up in this secret place, in the tent of meeting when no one else was there. God met with him. There's a journey that he wants to take you on from where you are right now. If only you'll say, I'm in. God, I want more of your presence. I want to carve out time. I want to be more aware of you as I go throughout the day. I want to honor you in the words you've spoken. I don't want to forget about your faithfulness and find myself trying to figure out my own way. I just want to walk in your presence. And there's so much grace and there's so much patience in that journey. I think about, I was thinking about this week, just a, a, a few stops along the way in my own journey. After graduating from college, took a little time to just figure out where in the world I was supposed to go and making sure that's what God wanted me to do. And I ended up moving up to Boston to go to seminary there. And, um, and while I was there, I experienced something I'd never experienced before, and that was a loneliness, a depth of loneliness that I had not known. I had always uh, been close to my family, had great friends through, through college and all, and I got to seminary and just began struggling. Uh, I, I felt as though I, I didn't connect with anyone. I was struggling uh, with the mix of faith and academia. I had grow, grown up in a very small, 
rural farm town, and faith was just very simple, like love God and love people. I didn't know big fancy words for different terms and things. I didn't, and I was like, what is this world? And these people are so passionate about it, and, um, and I was struggling, okay? We'll just say that. I was struggling, and um, didn't feel like I had any friends, no connections, and, and so here I am, a 23-year-old man, right? And, and uh, I am a couple times a week calling my parents crying, not enjoying anything about life. And, and so I was calling my parents, this and, that, and God was also teaching me to come to him. I would come home after class and just get, get in my little dorm room where I would, felt was just enclosing around me and just like pray, just like, God, I need you. And I still look back on that time as one of great intimacy with God. But, but I, I flash forward a few years later, Joy, my wife, and I are married, and um, we have started a college ministry and um, going through some, some difficulty with it, some disappointment in it, uh, not to mention just uh, we've moved kind of down into the city, and, uh, and it's just very different than the life that I was accustomed to in, in rural Texas, and, uh, and so just kind of struggling with life and the pace of life and disappointment, and, um, and so oftentimes when I felt that, I wanted to go to Chili's. Um, <laughs> for me, that was like the, the ultimate growing up. We get to, we're going to Houston. Can we go to Chili's? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to Chili's, get some chips and salsa the side of ranch, and we'll be good. And so we go to Harvard Square where there used to be a Chili's, and you're like, that's sad. You're going to Harvard Square, and you choose to eat at Chili's. But that, we had this little corner booth because when you want to get alone, you want a booth. You just feel like you can kind of hide in there. And uh, uh, right on the wall of this booth was a, a picture of these cowboys, these old cowboys encircled around a fire. They're like on some cattle drive, and it's night, and they're around the fire. And I, I would just be like, I just want to be there. Joy, can we go there? Like, I... I don't know where that is, and actually, it's probably a really difficult, hard life, but right now, it looks good, um, and so it was just like, you know, I want to go somewhere, I want to be somewhere, and, and of course, as we're walking through, we're learning about ministry and the, the heartache of some of that and trying to be faithful to God, and, and, and you're walking through, and I'm, I'm particularly in a season of learning about the, walking in, in the, the things of the Spirit and how to, to walk with God in those ways, but I'm just, there's this longing in my heart. Fast forward now to, um, to a few years ago, 2020. We'll start in 2019. Um, 2019 was a difficult year for our staff. Uh, and for the first time, uh, that was, you know, that was eight, eight years into the existence of this church. Um, we had uh, run into just, man, some, some heartache. Uh, some people that we loved uh, dearly. Uh, decided to leave the church, which people leave different churches for different things, and that's that's part of life, and we we bless that, you know. And um, this particular one, um, while we said, hey, if there's a different way that you're thinking on a, on a the- theological issue, like, hey, we, we bless you, and I know that there's you know other great churches and what have you, um, but it kind of turned into something where they, they began to talk to a lot of others and this and that, and it just became kind of pretty hurtful and. Uh, just in, with people that we loved and cared for and, and causing division. And so our staff was really hurting. It was a really hard season for us. And, um, and we're just trying to pull together and trying to, to hear God and respond rightly and, um, and repent any way that we needed to repent. And so it was already kind of a, a difficult season for us heading into 2020, which none of us expected. Uh, we broke ground on this building in February of 2020, the, about a month before the world fell apart, where we, in this building, started going up, and then all of a sudden, we're in this global crisis, and 
um, through that journey, as you as you know, it was it was there, there was a lot of volatility. God for, for wisdom to navigate uh, scenarios and situations that, that none of us have ever been in before, and trying to lean into His counsel and His wisdom. Godly, wise decisions, but you know that that, that there are going to be people that disagree with those decisions, sometimes kind of adamantly. And uh, and in the in the that journey, um, about half I don't have the exact number, but about half of the church was was no longer. Uh, I mean, a lot of churches experienced. That. I don't know if that was the exact numbers, but it, it was a a, a a difficult season. Um, and, you know, I remember getting up and preaching in different, um, you know, sermon series. One, we talked about the kingdom is kind of coming up on the election. Like, hey, we've got to be a kingdom people. And, man, I, I don't usually get nervous. To, I've done this enough. This is nerve-wracking to try to say, what is kingdom in the midst of this chaos and the noise and the, the, the opinions and, then, and just trying to, to go down that road. And so through, through these seasons, 2019 and, and 20, um, it ended up being a really sweet place of finding shelter in the presence of God. Like so many of those years where God was training through you know, difficulty and trial, and you know, you're wanting to be like my parents. Like, I just want, I need counsel for that. I need, I need, I need them to love me. I need them to tell me it's going to be okay. And I have wonderful, godly parents I could still call and they could still tell me that. Or in a season where it's like, I just, I just want to get away from here. Like, I just want to experience, you know, the simplicity of this cowboy life and just being with God on the trail. I don't know, but like, like, I just want to go, but like, what does it look like to just? find his presence right where you are and I just began like God regularly just giving me these pictures of just kind of being surrounded by him and not in an isolation way I would actually do that at, uh, up on up on the stage over the other building like just up on the stage I would just as I'm getting ready to go up I would just picture myself almost like this little cocoon and, and, and from his presence because I, I'm no good <laughs> from coming from any other place anyway I, 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 I want to dwell in his presence because in that place, there's safety for me. There's peace for me. He is my rear guard. He is, he is the, the one that is, that is surrounding me. That he's the one that is going before me so I might follow his footsteps. And it's from that place that there's going to be any grace given to anyone else. There's any of the, the power of his spirit that's going to be released is just from that place. So it's just learning to, to live in, in that place. And, and when you're living there, and, and sometimes is what... He's inviting you into today. There's a reality that there is a way that has been made for you to experience his presence. And I was, um, I'm finished with this because we're gonna move into the time of um, response here, but there's, there's three specific things that I wanna encourage you to respond to. I've been uh, loving this uh, this uh, Phil Wickham song that I've been listening to, The Reason I Sing, acoustic version, if you go look it up. But um, there's a few lines as I was worshiping this morning uh, that, that stood out to me that I feel like God wants to, that are keeping us from experiencing his presence. 
and he wants to knock down those walls so we can experience his presence. And the first one is this. He sings, uh, he sings out, I'm living in freedom. And I felt like God was saying, there's people in here that can't sing that out. They can't sing it. To sing that out would be untrue about where they are. I'm living in freedom. But know this today, that God has a place of freedom for you in his presence. Today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to grow up a little bit. Your, your circumstances don't have to change. There's a place of freedom for you in his presence today so that you can sing out, I'm living in freedom. And it's because of him and what we have in his presence. There's another line that says, you've taken my burden away. I felt like God said, there's other people in this room today that can't sing that. It's not that God's not there offering to take your burden away. It's that you've not entered into his presence in such a way that's allowed him to take away, take off that burden. But today he's saying, won't you come? You don't have to carry that burden anymore, that shame anymore, that guilt anymore. You don't have to carry it. Just come into my presence. It's a place of safety, a place of refuge, a place of life place of hope, a place of healing for you. The last line that he highlighted was, it says, I'll testify of your grace. Again, I feel like God said there's some people in this room that can't truly sing that. I'll testify of your grace. And, and so I want you to know that if you don't have a relationship with God, where you've experienced the grace of God, meaning that you, you've recognized, man, I've got sin and rebellion in my life, I could be prideful or arrogant or selfish, and, and I, I don't have a relationship with God. Know today that his grace is sufficient, that, that his mercy, that his forgiveness is available for you today. That there is a testimony over your life. There is a story over your life to be told that his grace is enough, that his grace met me and set me free, that I am loved by him not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. I'm free. And so for some of you, you need to, for the very first time today, give your life to Jesus. We're gonna have some ministry team members on the side of the sanctuary today. If you need prayer for anything, any burden that you're carrying, any... And today the front's just gonna be open for people that need to be a Joshua today and just come and sit in the presence of God to, to linger. And even after we're done, we'll just leave some music playing. If anybody just needs to linger a little longer, we'll allow you to do that. But let's not leave this place without responding to God. Let's stand and pray together. God, you are so good. There is no one that compares to you. You are, are a shelter. You are a rock. You are a refuge. You are uh, the... The, the power from within to see the world changed. You, you are everything. There is nothing that compares to you. Everything else is rubbish. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. There's nowhere else that we'd rather be than in your presence. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy. And so if God's stirring you this morning, you just begin coming down. The front's open. There, there is something that God's stirring and asking of you to come and just linger, to just sit in his presence, 
to say again to God, there's nowhere else I wanna be. There's others of you that just need to come so that he can lift that burden. There's others that need to come so that he can deliver you into freedom. But let's not leave this place without responding to God. Get prayer if you need it, but let's respond to him.